You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. As we get started today, I am really excited to share that Served Up has formed a new partnership with the Food Network's New York City Wine and Food Festival. So much more to share with you in the weeks to come. So stay tuned. On today's show, I had the pleasure of chatting with my longtime friend and celebrated beverage pro, Charles Jolie. Charles is a founder of Craft House Cocktails. He is a global bartending champion, James Beard award-winning beverage designer, content contributor, speaker, and philanthropic enthusiast. With over 20 years in the hospitality industry, he has helped to usher in the modern age of the cocktail while showcasing his talents at premier world events such as the Oscars, Emmys, Grammys, the Kentucky Derby, and beverage leadership summits across the globe. Charles is dedicated to cultivating and educating today's bartenders and dedicates his time globally to participate in spirited competitions. He also has a stunning line of barware and glassware with his partner, Fortessa Tableware Solutions. Charles shared his passion for all things hospitality and so much more. So grab yourself a Craft House cocktail and enjoy this very special show. Charles, welcome to Served Up. I am really happy to have you on the show today. I am excited to be on the show. I've been a long time listener, first time caller. Hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and, you know, what really drew you into the beverage community? Oh, man. Um, To be 100%, I guess, upfront about it, like originally what got me into this business was... um, I mean, it's, it's electric, right? It's got, it's got such a draw to it. It's got, uh, you romanticize it when you're on the outside of it in the beginning, you know, when I was, you know, 21, when I first got into the business, um, you know, you're going out to bars and restaurants and and clubs and whatever. And, uh, like, well, well, this would be such a cool job, right? Grass is always greener. You see it and, and you want to get involved with it. And it turned out it was a cool job. There were some things on the other side of it, of course. There's a balance to any anything that we do, um, but you were throwing a party every night or hosting every night, depending on what style of venue that you work in. Um, and that is, man, there are worse things to do. I've never been one to sit behind a desk. Uh, it's not not my way. I, I don't want to look at a computer for any longer than I absolutely have to. Um, and so, being active, being physical. You know, I don't know. I was certainly a night owl uh, at that stage of my life as well. And, and now kind of a, a much more balanced. Uh, but yeah, everything about it was was right. The camaraderie, the energy, you know, and it was a, it's a, a decent way to make a living as, as a 20 something in the beginning. So what was your first gig? 
my very first gig was as a bar back at a, a gigantic nightclub in Chicago um, in the very late 90s. Uh, and uh, like this big underground nightclub that it was it was dark and kind of, you know, dangerous and seedy in just the right ways uh, and had all of the appeal that. Uh, that you know that you want when you're when you're that age, uh, and you know even today I wanted to check out these like these kind of underground spots are kind of fine to uh, you know are, are fun to to discover and know about, and it was kind of the end of an era in that style of club as well, very very DJ driven, no bottle service, not like the way we think of perhaps like a Vegas nightclub or something like that. People went to dance, people went to uh, meet up with their friends, and I mean that's how I got the job. I was there with friends. And ran into a, a buddy from high school and got uh, got that gig. It's crazy. So, what brought you then from you know from bar backing, which I think everyone should really start off as doing? I started off at Dish at the Country Star, which is not even around anymore. And that's the Country the Star. <laughs> country Star was like the Hard Rock Cafe of its time, but for country right. music. And for the listeners that know me, know that country is not my jam. So <laughs> I was quickly excited to get out of that, but that's a story for another day. So what, you know, but I do think that really learning the fundamentals of the restaurant world is super important. If you really want a true career in beverage yep. or in hospitality. So what took you from being a bar back, really take us on that journey to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, one aside, I guess I couldn't agree with you more. If you plan on spending your life or or a decade or or any any length of time in in the same profession, understanding everyone's roles, like really intimately understanding everyone's roles, is such a benefit. So if you if you if you're ever going to own a bar or a restaurant and you've never worked a dish pit, uh, you've never waited tables, which happens. It's a crazy thing. It happens in hospitality. People will never have waited a table a day in their lives, and they'll be like, "I like food. I'm going to open a restaurant." <laughs> And it just, I don't know of any other field where people have that, um, I don't know, uh, ballsiness <laughs> or, uh, to do it. But, and it, it is, you know, we hear about like how tough the industry is and whatnot, but, and I think that that is um, inexperienced folks getting involved um, is a reason for a lot of that percentage. It is a very tough business regardless. Um, but certainly if you don't know the ins and outs, you know, I, I fought tooth and nail to get my position as a bartender. Uh, and, and this was just, you know, in the high volume days, uh, because there's, you know, it was definitely more lucrative to be a bartender than it was a bar back. You're getting typically 20% of, of, of tips uh, at the time is what, what was pretty standard uh, from, from the bartenders. You and I both love music. And we, you know, it's something that you and I have shared. It's a stage, you know, the bar is, is 100% a stage. And I played, you know, I played music throughout my 20s and I left. I put my guitar back in its case and came full time into the industry because I, I you know, I, I got the, an opportunity in, in the, in the, in the bar business that was going to, you know, I was like, Oh, well, this is like, sounds like an adult move. So I, I left that stage and then kind of picked up another one uh, behind the bar. I guess we were like long, long story short though, like even getting that first bar gig, it's something that how hard I had to work to get able to actually pour the booze has stuck with me my entire career because I'm somewhat introverted. Uh, and that is why I was told I was too shy so many times again and again. And to this day, I always find that some of the 
most creative folks, some of the people who work the hardest for you often get overlooked because they are the introverts and they're not the loudest voice in the room. Um, so that's, that's stuck with me uh, as someone who is perhaps a extroverted introvert, depending on how many white wine spritzers I've had that evening. So when you, you know, what was going through your mind when you stepped behind the bar for the first time, especially as someone who is an introverted person, because that can be daunting. I mean, you're, you are in front of people and it, and it is your stage. And how did you really make that your own? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It was, um, it gave me permission to come out of my shell. Um, it is, I'm, I've always been a far better bartender than I am a, a, like a floor server. And I've, you know, we've all, if you work in a bar or in a restaurant, you're going to do all the jobs at some point in time, you know, dish pit doesn't show up, you work in there. I jumped in the kitchen and helped out before I would certainly waited tables and I do not like waiting tables at all. I've, I've jumped out on the other side. Um, and it's a whole different thing. You are going to the guest at that point. Um, when you're at the bar, people come to you. <laughs> so there's, uh, it's, uh, you're, you're kind of holding court almost, uh, and, and hosting. And, and there's a million ways to do that. We've all worked with bartenders of the entire gamut of personalities, uh, for better or worse. Um, and, uh, I loved it. I loved, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, like playing chess or something, you know, you have to feel like just like, especially in that time you were taking it, what you didn't take one drink order at a time. You were, you were perhaps serving three or four people at once. You're going to double down on, on all the cocktails you might have. It was very common on, on any busy night to have six or seven or eight glasses in front of you where you were making different highballs or, you know, simple mixed drinks, but to remember all of them and get them to the right place, do the math in your head as well. It was fun. And, and, you know, um, I, I loved it. I worked in the, you know, in, in this, in Chicago, in the inner city. And the first venue I worked at was just a very cool, where I bartended was very cool and had a really eclectic mix that was representative of the city of Chicago. Like just everybody came in there. Uh, and we had all these different nights. We'd have like this kind of like underground hip hop night on Sundays. That was the first night that I bartended. Uh, and myself and this female bartender, her name was Paige, who, who kind of was like, to me, she was probably only five years older than me, but she seemed like the elder states person of the, of the bar. You know, she knew her shit. She didn't take any uh, and she didn't take any from guests. She, she had been around. She had kind of like, she had, she'd been through it all. And so she kind of took me under her wing and, uh, I was like, all right, we're going to get this done. And, and, you know, I felt like I had to, felt like I owed her a little bit. I owed it to her to, to not screw it up. And, uh, and we crushed it behind the bar and we made, you know, we, everybody had a good time and we, we had our regulars and people come back to see us. And, uh, it was great. Yeah. Those were the days, weren't they? <laughs> it's, it's a so fun, fun way of bartending. Isn't it? it was, I think that there were definitely less rules, less fussiness. Um, I, and I can tell you, I mean, for sure, when I first started bartending, you know, it was not as fancy as it is today. We certainly didn't pay attention to our ice and all the things that we know now, but we made, um, beautiful mistakes. I like to call them and just had a lot of damn good fun, you know? Yeah. I, I, I always remind that to, to, folks that get into, you know, I love what we're doing today. Like I love the cocktail movement. I, I, yeah. Right. The craft behind it. I love a good drink. I love that. We're not drinking corn syrup out of a gun. That's all of those things are tops. Um, but for all those years prior to the cocktail Renaissance, like 
people were still having a great time at bars. They went out and they came back and, and people made livings at that. And we threw parties every night and we made people really happy and we did the best we knew how <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that just speaks to hospitality, right? And that's yeah. just the the beating heart of um, the bar, the restaurant, the beverage community. It really comes down to hospitality and how we deliver it, um, how we receive it and how we celebrate it. So take me from, so when you had your first gig and we're going to skip ahead a bit because you've done so many amazing things in your career, I really want to, you know, just fast forward and take me to when um, you were on a TV show, which I don't know that um, all of our listeners are aware of where you, you won and it was a nationally broadcasted television show. So can you tell me a bit about um, that experience? Because as far as I know, it was really, and I cannot remember the name of it. So you're going to have to help me with that. But I can, I do remember that it really was like the first um, cocktail competition to be televised on such a grand national stage. So tell me about that. Absolutely. So it's called On the Rocks. And there are some really some great folks in our industry that's, uh, you know, people that have become friends over the years that were, were mentors were, were involved with that. Uh, Julie Reiner was a judge. Um, and Simon Ford was involved in the back of house on that uh, and, and really making it legitimate. Uh, Aisha Sharp was, was a judge, Tobin Ellis. So really just these kind of great veterans of our industry. Yeah. And it was crazy. It was, it was, the world was not ready for cocktails on TV yet. And uh, I, I, I think actually just from a, a pure advertising standpoint, like it was on so late at night because having spirits and having hard alcohol on television, on network television at that time, and it wasn't that long ago. It was like, you know, 2012 or something. Uh, but it's things have moved very quickly. The acceptance of it on, on television has moved very quickly. So uh, it was on quite late, but it was, it was cool. It was a, um, it was a fun five or seven days of bartending. And I always recall that, and it just speaks to when you talk about hospitality and our industry, the producers kind of being, they, they loved us. They were, they were having a great time, but they're like, you guys, we need some more drama. This is television. This is like a class reunion. It's not like a competition show. So we're like, well, this is what we're not going to make up drama for no reason, but it was great. But I need to go, I need to just take one step back because I, I don't know the difference between a Michelob and a Manhattan if if I never met Bridget Albert. So that that was such a turning point in my career and my and and would change the trajectory of of everything I was doing. I when you and I met, I was the operations director of I had a good a nice position. I was a, you know uh, I'd worked my way up the ranks for this local bar group in Chicago. And I was overseeing whatever we had at that time, six or seven bars and restaurants around the country. We had the bright idea of, of opening a, a cocktail bar, but we met before that happened. And you were doing some, some consulting and we're going to help out with the cocktail menus at one of our bars. And I can trace back the first real, co- the first real cocktail, if you will. People have that aha moment where they had their first great cup of coffee from a great barista or they had whatever a piece of music they've heard and and you uh, made a whiskey sour and it was just a simple whiskey sour with an egg white and, and maybe there was a drop of bitters on top i don't recall exactly but i was like bah! you know like it's like the 
the light breaks through the clouds and you're like, what the heck have I been drinking all this time? Like you can do this with four ingredients. And to this day, and I think each one, all of us as bartenders have that moment where you're like, it is so fulfilling and you kind of chuckle to yourself a little bit. And it feels so good when someone says, this is the best drink I've ever had. Like it was a margarita <laughs> was a, or, or a whiskey sour, mm-hmm. but it was made fresh and it was made with, 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 uh, you know, with skill and with intention. And until you've had that, you haven't had it, you know, yeah, you, you don't know. So that, and, and the Academy of Spirits and Fine Service, um, that you launched in, um, uh, in the Chicago area, it changed the trajectory now for myself, only myself, but a whole generation of, of bartenders. And, and it, it, it turned me on to, and then really put the ball in my court, I guess, um, for my love of, of cocktails and, and, um, diving into history and, and getting into the whole, this whole crazy world that we, that we live in now. And that where this, uh, where this thing has, has just blossomed into, we didn't, I mean, who could have seen that it was going to be this big of a movement, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wild thing. So thank you for that. And we need you to be a guest on your own show sometime to, to really, because that, I mean, it, it's, uh, it doesn't get say, said often enough and uh, you're wildly humble. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, none of this happens without Bridget Albert. So thank you for that. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. And I'm trying really, really hard not to have tears on this episode. So happy tears, but I, I appreciate that. But it really, you know, when I look back the day and I remember very well the day that I first met you because I got lost. Um, as many of our listeners know, I, I've never said that I am from Chicago. I am not. I'm from a little suburb outside of Chicago. I don't drive around Chicago too much. And typically when I did and back then I had to use MapQuest and print out <laughs> directions. And I remember driving around the freaking block a million times. That's, I just remember being so stressed out. And then when I walked in, you were so gracious and so friendly and so warm and so wonderful. And it reminded me so much of, of my friends that I had um, been working alongside with in Las Vegas prior, you know, just a true family that you had um, with your team. And I felt welcome right away and I felt safe in a place that just could be something very special. And so I recognized that right away. But I remember that day because I had MapQuest resting on my steering wheel, freaking the fuck out, not knowing where I was going. <laughs> but, but I but I appreciate your words. And um, but it was truly through your hard work. You know, you you've really just put your energy in such a place that has taken you on a journey, I mean, Charles, literally around the world. And I, I want to talk about that. Um, but before we do, can we talk about Craft House and how you developed this really special product? And now we see, I mean, folks, you know, you go into any grocery store, if it's legal in your state, you know, you go into any liquor store and you see so many ready to drinks in our industry. We call those RTDs. And Charles was really the first, in in my eyes, definitely the first to put out a product that's delicious and not filled with disgusting syrups when you pour it out. It's not fluorescent, whatever color of the day, right? And I know we typically in the summer, actually, I, we do have it in my um, my garage fridge where we keep all of our beers and and all the special stuff we share with friends. 
because it's something that you can be proud of giving to your friend and you'll, you'll know that they will enjoy it. So take me on that journey. Take our listeners on that journey yeah. of Craft House. This is going to be, we're going on 10 years in the market, which is really wild for uh, to all of us. And it's, it's a long time for an independent brand to exist, like to just a lot of brands don't make it. And so, and, and that's, we're not patting ourselves on the back for that. It's uh, it's a bit, a bit of a miracle and a bit of, you know, lots of hard work and uh, um, you know, some luck and, 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 uh, and, and to just doing things the right way. We, we, we like to think we built this brand knowing that we can only serve so many people at our bars and wanting to give those those cocktails to folks, make them available for them when they were not at out, at our bars. Um, and we just couldn't figure out why nobody, why everyone doctored the drinks so much, why everybody made them like stepped on them so much and made and, and put all this stuff in there. Like, why not just grab some lemon juice? Why not just make simple syrup? Why not? Why not use real spirits? And so that's all we started with. And, and it was just very simple principles about make it as, as close as we possibly can to what we do in the bar. The only step difference is that our citrus is pasteurized. So that's, you know, it lends to shelf stability. Uh, although, but it's just, it's just pure citrus though. It's, there's nothing else in it. There's no citric acid. There's no, you know, flavors like that uh, tossed in there. There's no corn syrup. We, you know, we make simple syrup for, for everything. And we use great spirits and it's been, uh, you know, stuff that we would actually want to drink if it was, if it was not put in there. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been a wild 10 years. Uh, we spent much of the first part of that time, just kind of explaining to people because the expectation of quality was so low for, for that category. Um, and there was like, you know, everything out there was, was not something that you'd want to necessarily show up to a party or a barbecue with or, 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 or whatnot. Um, it was purely a convenience product prior. Uh, and so we wanted to do something that was convenient, but also had, had quality and integrity to it. And so, yeah, I mean, wow, lots of ups and downs along the way, lots of, lots of craziness. It's still, it's still crazy. Um, but we've, the category has just exploded in the last two to three years. And so, yeah, we've, you know, we've, we're riding the wave with it, which is fantastic. We were poised, um, once people finally turned the corner of acceptance of this category, we were, we were there and ready to go. But with that, now there is a huge aisle. It went from nothing to uh, you know hundreds of brands uh, overnight. So people just have to do their homework and try and just taste. You got to trust your trust your taste and drink what you like, um, and and look into brands, read labels, jump on websites, see what's in the see what's in the bottles. Um, and you know, you saying that you have it in your fridge, to me, it is when I hear people that are fully capable of making their own cocktails from scratch say we're in their, we're in their fridge or they brought us over to their family's house when they were visiting or whatever, make that's like the best compliment to me because it, it shows it's what we, exactly what we were set out to do. Like I crack open craft house. I've got a massive bar in my house with, you know, all the tools and all the ingredients, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's nice to have that on hand and you know, it's, it's made well. Um, and it's been, uh, I think that category is going to only continue to grow. I think it, we're going to see some definitely it's going to, it has to thin out a little bit. You can't, you know, anything when there's a explosion, we've seen it over the years and whether it's vodkas or gins or you know, American whiskey or tequilas, the, the, the kind of cream is going to have to rise to the top. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been wild and it's been a, a whole other side of the, this business that I was not exposed to, to prior. Well, it is delicious. Can you tell our listeners 
what cocktails Craft House is available in. Yep. So we've, uh, we've got eight cocktails now. We started and we started with all classics. Um, and at the time, although there are a million Moscow mules, the Moscow mule is kind of one of our flagships, but when that, you know, 2011 is when we conceived the idea, the Moscow mule was really just starting to, and it was only in cocktail bars that you would have seen it. It was, it was, you know, tough to find ginger beer outside of uh, a couple of brands. And so it was really just starting to, would just start to show its head. So we started with a Moscow mule. We started with the Paloma, which I, which I love my many, many trips to, to Mexico. Um, at that point taught me that often when you're in Mexico and you're at a, a great taqueria or whatever with friends, you get a bottle of tequila dropped in the middle of the table and a bottle of squirt and a bottle of Coke and a bowl of limes and, and both salt and ice. And you just kind of sit and make your own drinks, drink whatever, whatever you want. Um, and so I was like, this is people like when you're in, like in, in Mexico, people drink Paloma. It's like, you don't see as many shaken margaritas outside of the, uh, you know, when you're just at, at, a, at a restaurant like that, like a very casual, uh, awesome taqueria. Uh, we did the South side, uh, which for those that don't know is a classic cocktail that's seen, seen a resurgence gin and, and citrus and mint and just a little, little bit gin sour with mint. Uh, it's delicious uh, and a wonderful gateway cocktail into gin. We launched our first aged spirit cocktail, which was the Gold Rush, which is a bourbon sour with honey. Uh, and then we have a, a little bit of Angostura bitters in that. And then we have a mezcal margarita, which is one of the first mezcal cocktails uh, in, in the ready-to-drink format. And a, a jalapeno and chipotle spice margarita. Yeah. So we've got we've got eight out there. Uh, oh, and our, oh, not to, in our rum drinks, which was like so much fun because we got to uh, work with some wonderful rum brands for that. Uh, stirred rum old fashioned, which is actually the way that I like my old fashioned. Uh, it's just a little bit, a little bit rounder, uh, and with some wonderful bitters um, from a little craft company called Bittered Sling, um, and a pineapple daiquiri. Which that one's a sleeper because bartenders love a pineapple daiquiri or a little daiquiri timeout. Uh, but uh, people hear pineapple daiquiri and they think of slushing machines. I think, but uh, this is really good um, pineapple infused rum. So a little bit of something for everyone. Uh, and uh, a bunch of different formats, uh, little aluminum bottles that you can kind of like take and go, uh, boxes on tap with 15 cocktails inside them. So yeah, we've got, we're working, always innovating stuff. I love it. And is Craft House um, found nationally? Yeah, we're in 40 states now, which is, and, oh. and growing. Um, so yeah, we're, we're all over the place. Um, and and we have a store locator at crafthousecocktails.com on our website. So people can find us that way. And honestly, if you send a message through our IG, like mm-hmm. it comes to us, there's no red tape with our company. It's part of being an independent still, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, there's, it's just us. So <laughs> if you send us a message, we get it and we'll, we'll get back to you. I love it. Love it. Well, listeners definitely be on the lookout next time you go to the grocery store, your liquor store, convenience store, wherever liquor and RTDs are sold and check out Charles Brand for sure. So that really takes us to what I see kind of that next chapter in your life from where I'm sitting. And that is when you became the best bartender in the whole wide world, Charles Jolie, not just in Chicago. Did you all know that? That we're I'm speaking to the best bartender in the whole wide world. Charles uh, competed in this really amazing competition that still exists today, um, powered by Diageo, and it is called World Class. And Charles, my God, when you won that, 
And this is another moment I remember because I was sitting at my desk doing work and it was live streamed and I had it on my computer and I screamed so loud. I think I scared the whole office when you won. I jumped (laughs) up. I was so excited. And it was such a cool moment for all the folks that know you. And then in the future, I think as well, that just wanted to get to know you to see, you know, how how you um, got to such a place as the best bartender in the whole wide world. So tell me about that. (laughs) That was a that was such a crazy year. I was just thinking about it because, you know, it's uh, one of like, you know, my phone showed me a memory or something on the, on the photo and it popped up and um, like you were so, you know, supportive, our dear friend, Kyle McHugh, like so supportive. And the thing that got me, so I was in the, this was like a, a, a competition that took place like the whole process takes a year really to get to the finals because you have to win your first, you're like your city, your region, and then you go to a, a regional competition and, and compete against all the finalists there. And then you go to a national competition and then you compete against all the best in the, in the country. And that really like amazing field, uh, Julio Cabrera, like just, you know, who's a dear friend. And I, I think one of, one of the finest bartenders in the, in the world um, was, was in the lineup. I mean, just, it was it was wild. So it took months and months of, of pre-work to get, and then you get to represent your country and you get shipped wherever um, it moves every year. My year was in, in the UK and Scotland and uh, London. But when I was over there, you know, there'd been this really great legacy of, of, of wonderful bartenders before me in the US that had competed. Um, and Jeff Bell from PDT from please don't tell in, in New York had come close, like very close. I think he might've finished second, um, in, in his year, but an American had not won it yet. So as I had progressed through the rounds throughout the week, I was like, okay, that the field went from 55 to 30 and I made the cut. And then, uh, you know, somebody in, in the U S and I think it might've been Chris Patino, which is just a beautiful thing in our business because he worked, did not work for the company that was hosting that competition. And it didn't matter. Change his profile picture to, to my picture. And then all of a sudden, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, people I didn't know, and like this whole bartending community in the it US. It was not hundreds like... and hundreds. It was thousands <laughs> of people. We all, we all were Charles <laughs> Jolie and our Facebook. It, it was crazy. So, but it really like that because it was very stressful. Uh, and every day there was one or two more challenges and points are adding up and they're eliminating people down to down to 12 and then down to, they added some drama my year and they had a secret cut where they cut it down like from 15 and then brought us all back in the room and then lopped it back down to eight, uh, like unannounced. And then we went down to our final five or six, but, um, but to go online and to see this whole bartending community that was from, you know, people I knew, people I didn't know, we're all kind of like rooting. It, it, it made it a little bit easier. I felt like I wasn't alone out there. Um, and it was just a really wonderful moment that I, I don't think can ever be recreated. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. I, I didn't, I had kind of, you know, cocktail competitions are cool. I reckon like if there's one happening in your town and you have a, your favorite bartenders in one, go and check it out, support it. They're fun. They can be really, they can be a really good time. This one is really intense. Uh, World class is, I don't know. I like to kind of call it the Olympics of bartending because it is so many different challenges throughout the week. And it's not just based on, on cocktails. So it was that competition and winning that competition also was a, another kind of dot on my timeline that would change, that would change my, my career as well. It just opened up so many 
so many doors. At that point, I was the beverage director at the Aviary in Chicago, which is a wonderful cocktail bar. It's still, um, still, still going strong from the Alenia Group. Definitely recommend checking it out if you're in town. And I had so many international opportunities at that point that I, I, I was like, I ended up leaving my post at the Aviary and going independent. And, and, you know, nobody was mad about it because it was this once in a lifetime opportunity to, um, to see the world and, and to do what we do to bartend and work with bartenders around the, around the planet and to travel, you know, uh, which is like, who, who, who could say no to, to that. Uh, and it was, it was, yeah, it was cr- incredible. And still, you know, it still carries on to this day. We'll be um, judging the global finals, uh, which are, are in, in Sydney, Australia this year. Uh, and so I get to go out as a judge, which is a lot of work. Uh, but it is uh, decidedly less stressful than competing. <laughs> oh my goodness. I bet. And you've been on that judging circuit for some time, you know, yeah, what is, I lo- what is I that love like for you to see that the back end? Of, yeah. I um, love to, I love judging these comps, um, because I competed in so many of them. And prior to world-class, I competed in, in dozens and dozens of smaller competitions and, and wonderful ones. I mean, like, as you said, on, on the rocks, you know, like fully, Mm -hmm. fully filmed TV show. So you've got lights and cameras in your face. So I really understand on the back end what the competitors are going through. Uh, and I give 110% of my attention to what's happening in front of me. Um, what, you know, understanding the process that these, these bartenders have been through and what they're going through. Um, if, you know, I love if there's a less experienced judge, you know, to work with them and kind of, you know, share, share some insights and, and hear what they're seeing too, with their fresh eyes, uh, to make sure that, you know, we're, it's great. Uh, we're really, you know, conscious about being front and center with any biases and, and really making it as fair as possible. And we've seen, um, just so much it's evolved over time. Uh, and it's, you know, winning a cocktail competition does not necessarily make you a, a great bartender. Um, you know, in, in and of itself, but it is a nice tool. Um, and, and it's a really wonderful way to meet, um, a lot of people. And it's a lot of, it's a wonderful way to showcase, um, your style, uh, and, and what you do. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, and then there's a lot of fun opportunities out there for bartenders and that, and that's something, you know, what, something that's been instrumental for me has been the United States Bartenders Guild. If you are in the, in the industry, anywhere in the U S there's chapters in every state. Um, it is a great resource to get introduced to some of this stuff uh, and not just competitions, but also tons of education uh, that comes along with it. And, and to me, it's just made our global community that much smaller. And it really is. It's such a tight knit community. And we really saw it over the pandemic, how, how tightly knit we were, not just in our own city, but globally. Um, so many people coming together to check in with one another, to do events with one another. Uh, so it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride and I'm not, I'm not getting off this ride anytime soon, Bridge. No, no, I know you're not because you're headed to the freaking Emmys again. So can you, let's talk about the Emmys, Charles Jolie. Let's talk about the oh, Emmys and the fun things and all the movie stars and give us the dirt. No, don't, don't. Actually, what I'm really curious about is um, what is the, that like for you? When you are tasked to create a cocktail for such a huge, globally known and beloved event like the Emmys. Yeah, this is, I think this is year five or six. Uh, and we've been invited back to design the drinks for the Emmys and also for the Academy Awards, which is, I, I love, I love being given a challenge. 
I love being given an event, like a theme, a vibe, and be like, all right, now make us delicious cocktails to go with this occasion. And this is our color scheme. And these are the 10 adjectives we're using to describe the vibe we want in the event this year. Oh my God, go nuts. And then like, there's no other parameters. You know, we have sponsor spirits, of course, that, that, that host us and, and, and that we, we work with. But other than that, like I just go nuts and then get to create whatever we want. But there's, there's a challenge with it. You can't just make, you can't make outlandish cocktails. You're going to, you're going to have 2,500 guests walk through the door whom you've probably not never met almost all of them before. You have no idea what their palates are. So you need to make drinks that a crowd is going to enjoy. You can't make anything too esoteric. There's a lot to plan for. They need to be replicable. Uh, they need to be approachable, but interesting and, and exciting and, and, and award-worthy, if you will. And we not only batch up all of the drinks for our bars with the team from uh, Liquid Productions, which is a really great industry group of industry individuals that, that do a lot of uh, education. They do a lot of back of house. They do all the logistics and, and bartend along. You know, we bartend together uh, at these events. Um, Andy Seymour and, and his team. We will batch up all of these cocktails, 8, 10, 12,000 cocktails, and then we, they're for our bar, but then we disperse them and train all of the other bartenders at the event day of, so really kind of off the cuff. So we need to make it turnkey for them as well. So there's some always, always challenges to be done with it. Like what, what garnish are we going to do that we can replicate 2,500 of <laughs> or whatever it might be. So it's, it's super fun to do. Um, and it, it's almost a skill set in its, in itself to be able to do cocktails that make sense for the event and will be you, you, the last thing you want to do is have some, the, the, you know, when you're doing a, an event and somebody, you give a cocktail and then they walk and they set it down on the first table nearest to the bar. Oh, going, oh. that's the worst feeling. <laughs> it really is such a shot to the gut when that happens. Yeah. And it's very, you know, it, 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 does, it does happen, right? Like we've all done event. I remember the first, uh, I did a big, a big charity event and I made a shrub. Uh, and for those that don't know what a shrub is, it's uh, it's an old technique that utilizes vinegar as uh, the acid in the cocktail and it's used to preserve. You can infuse it with fruit and whatnot. And for people that love vinegar, it is delicious. I found out that a lot of people don't like vinegar. So it's, it's a very polarizing oh, thing. No. It's like whether you, you, you love or hate pickles type situation. And uh, there are two very strong camps. And I remember after I did that, I had a big event. I was like, okay, well, lesson learned. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, yeah, it, it's great. It is fun though. Those events are fun. They're so much work back of house, like with that, with the, the liquid productions team and, and just months of planning. And then we, you know, we are hands-on with all of the prep, um, you know, batching and, and tasting and cutting all the garnish. That's like, that's us doing it. And then what you see on Instagram is us in tuxedos and, and beautiful dresses. <laughs> behind the bar when the lights are down and you know we're smiling but little little do we know that the last you know 72 hours have been you know hunched over a batch bucket and you know cutting 2000 orange twists or whatever it might be well i mean because you are physically behind the bars where a lot of the stars right you know hopefully come up and grab something from you something yeah. delicious to drink you know um are do you have any like wish list stars that you hope to see this year? Oh man. Um, we, yeah, we totally, it, like we're at the governor's ball, which is the party that once they leave the award ceremony at both the Emmys and the Oscars, they walk right into that room. And, you know, it's our, our station is at the Oscars is often right outside the engraving station, which is where they engrave the, 
the, the plaques on the front of the, the, their statue. So everyone has to walk right past us. And, and people over the years have gotten to know our bars there. And they're like, ooh, this is like, you know, where the, the cocktail bartenders are or whatever. So they come and see us. And, and I think the bar is no different at your neighborhood bar than it is at the Emmys or the Oscars. We become an oasis and a little refuge. So if you're at a, you know, just like anybody who's at a big party where they, they may not know a lot of people, there's awkwardness and uncomfortableness. And so where do you go? Go lean on your elbow on the bar and you chat with the bartender. And so that same, um, that same thing happens. But um, I probably watched a little more uh, uh, TV this past year than in, in some, some other ones, uh, less as we've been able to, to reemerge. So I, I need to see who all of the nominees are leading up. But uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, my, my pop culture is a little bit better than it's been in years past. So I've had some, some moments where there are some very well-known folks come up and I had zero idea who they were, because <laughs> of, which is almost better. Like, like, like ignorance is bliss, right? Uh, so you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get any, uh, any nerves that way. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that that's probably what makes people want to come and visit you at the bar that you just see them as a human and as not some big actor or actress with a huge following, right? Yeah, and that and that is we're we're human. Like you get starstruck occasionally. You like you like look up and you're like oh like for a second, but you're not. Yes, you're also we're professionals. Anyway, to me, it's actually I love to provide that service and make it that much less. I don't know, like, like I love to provide that oasis for, um, for folks. And we, and we used to do it at our, at our little cocktail bar, the drawing room that was in downtown Chicago. Um, and it was located near a bunch of big hotels. So we'd always have people come through and, and we were subterranean and had no windows. So it already felt like you had a bit of privacy in there. Uh, and, and I always love that opportunity to just leave people alone, let them enjoy their night out and, and read them and give them as much attention as as they, they wanted. Some people, you know, want a complete anonymity. Some people are traveling by themselves and you end up sitting and pulling up a stool with the, you know, at their table with them and pouring yourself a drink and, and just chatting for hours. Um, you know, so there's opposite ends of the spectrum. That's part of, part of bartending is reading your guests and understanding what, what kind of interaction they're looking for. Yeah. hundred percent being able to really read the person across from you, I, I think makes a very successful experience, not just for yourself, but definitely for the guest, right? So yeah. it's a skill. It is certainly a skill. Um, so Charles, tell our listeners, what's next for you? Oh man. Um, you know, I've got my, my hands in a, in a few different things. Um, Several years ago, I had the opportunity to design my own barware and glassware, which is was an awesome. It's called Craft House by Cortessa, and that that is something that I work on all the time. We're always working on new designs and you know new tools and th- and things like that. Uh, I love as much as I I love talking nerdery and being in a room full of bartenders and teaching. I also love enthusiasts. I love to turn people like you know the general public onto cocktails and teach them some basic techniques to. So they can go home and, and shake up their own as well. I've, I've recently been working with the craft ice startup company out in, in Northern California called Abstract Ice. Um, and they are um, doing some very cool things uh, with kind of democratizing craft ice and making it more accessible. So the beautiful ice you see at bars, um, you know, is, is easier to find at stores and, and grocery stores and, and whatnot. So, yeah. And, and just, uh, who the heck knows? You know, I, our industry, I think, is continuing to grow. I love 
I, I don't know. I, I love, I love being in front of the camera too. I, I do definitely enjoy that. Um, so I'm always enjoying time doing that and, and would love to explore that as we, uh, as our industry continues to grow and move and, and gets a little bit more, perhaps some of, you know, our bartenders, uh, getting out there uh, the way chefs have been able to in the past, in the past years. And I think we'll see, we'll see some more of that. So um, it is, it is a very fun time to be in the cocktail and spirits uh, world. It's always been a fun time to be in it, but this is a, a very unique time. There's a lot of, a lot of growth and happening in it. And a lot of, it's so nice. It's to see people, how excited people got about cocktails, how many people were making cocktails at home um, when we were all stuck at home. Uh, for a couple of years, you know, to see the cocktail enthusiasts really diving in and 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 embracing it. Now they're now we're out and they're getting back into bars and and they're excited to see what people are doing. So, well, I wish you all my very best with all of those things. And I know that I have told you even recently, you know, my hopes for you is for me to turn on the TV and to see your face every week so I can binge watch whatever you're doing. <laughs> that's my that's my wish for you, Charles. <laughs> I, I hope it comes to fruition one day. Appreciate that. But me too. I, I want to thank you for taking some time with me this morning. It And I want to tell you, it's been just such an honor and a pleasure. And um, one, one of the highlights of, of my career, just to, um, to know you and to, to be on the sidelines cheering you on and to be able to watch all the wonderful things that you do with such humility and you're very genuine. And I know that everything that you do is through thoughtfulness and that can't be said for all, but it can be said for you. And so I, I just want to wish you my very best and, and thank you for being on Served Up. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for, um, I mean, everything that you give to uh, this industry and to everybody that you come into the contact with. Um, that is, uh, and uh, I, I, uh, for, for folks that maybe may, if this isn't your first served up, go and check out some of the other episodes as well and go back and listen through uh, and, uh, and subscribe to the show. Uh, I've been listening to uh, catching up on some of your, your other episodes. And, and I love this project um, that you've been working on. There's some, some, uh, some really beautiful conversations that you've had out there. And so, so congratulations on this and, and uh, all the best with it moving forward. Too. Well, thank you, brother. I want to wish you just, some great health and a whole lot of peace. So thank you. And cheers to you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers.